Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Pinkerton's Ghosts is a horror anthology podcast by Superversive Radio, with no affiliation with any detective agency, person, real or imagined, or the dark forces of Outre-Terre. It is not intended for children. I gotta admit, with Violet back in Massachusetts, my own medical, uh, needs, hitting dead ends and, well, boredom, I was entirely too happy to receive your text control. The Carbon County Courthouse in prison in Pennsylvania was closed last year with plans to reopen as a museum. Any attempts to reopen or to restore the jail site have been met with strange accidents. See the Norwich Cemetery Pinkerton Supply Site for a documented list, but they appear to be consistent with classic hauntings. Physical injuries, loud noises, objects and structures breaking inexplicably. What's more, executions were once performed on the grounds. Detective Russo, discover what incidents or individuals are responsible for the hauntings and recommend next steps. The Pinkertons were, are, first and foremost, detectives. We solved problems if they were within our power to solve, but our primary job was gathering information. Still, I went prepared. Unlike the other Pinkertons, magic wasn't really something I could do because of the Ring of Dispel, which is fine by me, honestly. I never trust it, no matter what Jim says. But the ring itself would make it so I could at least see the ghosts. I don't mean I go unprepared, of course. My crucifix was blessed by a priest, and it was made of iron to ward off Fay. I carried a small handheld lantern, since I knew electronics could go on the fritz around the supernatural, and for the corporeal threats, I was armed with a handgun, just in case. The possessed can be dangerous and can't always be reasoned with. They willingly let the ghost or demon in, after all. Jim Thorpe was about a two-hour drive. It was my first long drive since losing an eye on my last case. Oh, uh, I use the famous paranormal Pinkerton insurance policies like you suggested, Control. No joy. Every specialist told me the vision in my left eye is gone forever. I didn't jump for a robotic eye, either. Not until we can prove the soul is unaffected by robotics. At least I can legally drive. So, fieldwork continues. And, uh, Violet told me she digs the eye patch. The problem that I had in terms of research was that there were tons of reasons a jailhouse could be haunted. Still, it was likely to be only one ghost, or one group of ghosts. Poltergeists are rare enough that for somewhere to be really infected with them meant more than likely the group had a connection. What could have happened that meant a lot of different ghosts might have a grudge? Well, suspect number one were the Molly Maguires. See, Carbon County was built on mining, and the miners from Carbon County, Pennsylvania, were mostly Irish immigrants. A bunch of them were part of an Irish Catholic men's group called the Ancient Order of Hibernians, which is still around today. Think the Elks or the Shriners, but with a normal hat. Except the Ancient Order of Hibernians weren't the Ancient Order of Hibernians. They were a front for an organization called the Molly Maguires, an Irish workers' group that originated in Ireland when people started organizing over land disputes. 
The organization spread to England and then eventually to America when Irishmen started their mass migration during the potato famine. In Carbon County, the Maguires may have orchestrated a series of attacks on the mines. This prompted their bosses to hire a detective who went undercover and exposed the whole operation, landing a bunch of miners in prison and leading to several being executed, including four in the Carbon County courthouse. I mean, good lead, but assuming things could get me killed. For all I knew, a witch had been burnt there and nobody talked about it online yet. A man could have died of consumption on the prison steps with vengeance in his heart. I wouldn't know until I got my hands on the records. I arrived in Jim Thorpe at night, so not exactly a great opportunity to appreciate those famous picturesque views. But it was advantageous if I could get into the building without anybody else seeing me. It minimizes distractions. A small thing, but a thing regardless, especially in a tourist spot. It was a shame, and I made a mental note to visit Jim Thorpe again one day during the daylight hours, maybe with Violet. It had pubs, including, funnily enough, a pub called Molly Maguire's. Cafes, a place called the Mouch Chunk Opera House that still put on concerts, and a long trail section that followed the Delaware River that sat next to a train station. Considering all of the mountains I had passed driving in, it really was probably quite beautiful. But I wasn't here to appreciate the beauty of the Switzerland of the United States. I was here to visit the Carbon County Courthouse, a rather run-down-looking old building in the middle of the town. Considering it was used as a prison for such a long time, and housed some really dangerous criminals, it felt weirdly... small. A contact in the sheriff's department handed me a key outside one of the pubs nearby. I walked upstairs to a side entrance. No ghosts were visible from the outside, but as soon as I touched the door, I felt the hairs on my arms stand on end. For no discernible reason, I suddenly felt the very, very strong urge to run away. I didn't listen, of course. I'm a paranormal Pinkerton. We don't run from evil. We run towards it. Guns drawn, a prayer on our lips. I said a quick our father before pushing open the door. The ghosts weren't immediately visible, but the signs were immediate and obvious. Stepping into the jail was like stepping into a refrigerator, one of the hallmarks of paranormal activity. The door clanged shut behind me without me touching it. I didn't jump. I was ready for incidents like this, but I tried opening the door. It wouldn't budge. Great. Yet again, I had no escape route. Though in fairness to me, I wasn't the one who had closed the door. Not that old Tom would care if he heard about this. I shook my head to clear the cobwebs. Focus, Sean. I grabbed my crucifix and held it in front of me as I walked. The prison wasn't huge, and it was divided mainly into three separate areas. There was a regular-looking kitchen and home where the warden used to live. Nothing had been reported here, and I ignored it. The other main sections were the above-ground jail cells and solitary confinement in the basement. The jail cells were tiny, which was claustrophobic-looking enough, but solitary... well... The basement of the jail had almost no windows. The upstairs had been dark, but this was another level. I had my lantern, but there was simply no spot for light to get in. If I thought the regular jail cells were tiny, the solitary cells were tinier still. There were no toilets in any of the cells save one bizarre, lonely, disgusting toilet in the middle of a solitary confinement cell. It was more weird than anything else. 
As I looked around slowly, I was careful not to step into the jail cells now that I knew the ghosts could lock the doors, and I always looked above me when entering the room to watch for something clinging to the ceiling. The only thing that stuck out was a handprint, glowing in the dark, pressed into one of the cell walls. Experimentally, I took off the ring of Disbel. The glow vanished, but the handprint remained. If I didn't know better, I'd have wondered if I was imagining it, but, of course, I did know. The dead are sometimes allowed to leave marks in the world that survive until the building itself is torn down. The main hallway had gallows, right where all the cells could see them. This was the first time I actually saw the ghosts. I think they thought they were invisible, but nothing was invisible to a man wearing the Ring of Dispel. Surrounding the gallows, and I believe they were real gallows, reconstructed for when they thought the place was becoming a museum, were seats for an audience and even a podium for a judge at the front. I realized they must have held the trials here. The ghosts were sitting in the stands. There were maybe twenty of them, except for four who stood below the gallows. They were spectral and slightly transparent, but not white, more like a muddyish brown. They stared at me as I entered the room, and I decided to address them. <coughs> My name is Detective Sean Russo. As if a dam broke, there was a ghostly howling as the spirits realized with confusion that I could see them. Wind blew through the courthouse, making the nooses swing, and the spirits chattered at each other unintelligibly. Relatively normal for the dead. My heart sank for a moment. If they weren't verbal, that would make figuring out what was going on that much harder. Still, I forged onward, speaking louder to be heard over the noise. I'm not here to hurt you, I just want to know why you're here. Give me information and I'll go. Suddenly, one of the ghosts, the ghost sitting in the judge's chair, raised his hand and the other spirits fell silent. Now, he had a long, thick beard extending directly below from his chin, and looked like he was maybe in his thirties? I'm just guessing, though. He was dressed like a coal miner, naturally. I will address you from now on, Detective Russo. You ask who we are? I'll tell you. We're just simple coal miners. Yes, simple coal miners sent to our depths for a crime we didn't commit. Innocent men! Good men with the families! As he yelled, the wind inside the courthouse started up again, and I felt the building start to shake. The light of my lantern flickered wildly, but I held my ground, crucifix in front of me. And who are you exactly to be asking us these questions? Yes, Detective Russo, what gives you the right? I'm a paranormal Pinkerton detective. Ooh, I must have said the wrong thing. The ghosts all exploded into mindless chatter. The wind grew so powerful my lamp sputtered out and the ground started shaking. Pinkerton? Pinkerton? You dare come here, you black-carded, traitorous, two-faced scoundrel! The ghost's voice boomed, hurting my ears. I realized I had to run, but it was pitch black without the lantern. My eyes weren't adjusted to the dark of the room, and I had no clue where to go. I guess the ghosts really hated Pinkertons. I turned blindly into what I thought the direction I came in was, and nearly ran into a wall. 
I felt around desperately, looking for the doorway, but was interrupted when a sharp pain exploded across my head. I blacked out. I don't know how long it was before I woke up again, but probably less than a minute. My head still hurt like crazy. Probably I was mildly concussed, but I tried to focus on my surroundings. There was light again. It looked as if my lantern had turned back on somehow. I looked down. I was tied to a chair. Tightly. I squirmed, but there was really no use. The ring of Disabelle was no help here. This was physical rope. It looked like they grabbed it from one of the gallows, if ghosts can even grab exactly. This rope might have ended some of their lives. I looked to either side of me. Next to me was the judge's podium with the talkative ghost. Surrounding me in the stands were the other ghostly miners, all chattering and wailing. Was I on trial? But for what? The head ghost saw me waking up, then raised his hand again. The other ghost fell silent. He turned to me. Detective Sean Russo, you are hereby on trial for joining with the Pinkerton Detective Agency. We here hold that the agency is a filthy, contemptible place, full of liars, traitors, and the lowest of scum. Fit only for the bottom depths of hell, as is any man a part of it. Do ye understand the charge? Uh, sure, but... Silence! We will first present our case, and if you are found guilty, you will be hanged. The spectral ghosts around me cheered. I swallowed, panic rising. The only thing I had left was to try and talk my way out of this one. <laughs> Do I... <coughs> get a chance to defend myself? Ye do, though I hardly see the point as ye have already confessed your crime. Ooh, he was right. I had told him I was a paranormal Pinkerton. I swallowed, thinking desperately for an angle. I want a lawyer. I knew that the paranormal Pinkertons had an official lawyer on retainer that specialized in spiritual and fae-based cases, though I had no clue how I was supposed to get him here in time. I expected the ghost to object, but to my surprise, he said, Very well. We are not monsters, detective. We won't visit on you the same injustice your men visited upon us. Justice will be served. Summon him! I had no idea how to summon our lawyer. If I'm being honest, it probably was told to me sometime early in Pinkerton training. But I'd never needed him, so never looked it up. I swallowed. <laughs> this was magical nonsense. Maybe he was just on call? Sometimes you have to walk out on faith that someone, somewhere, arranged that men in my position, in my job, might get help. I made it sound official, if it would help. On the authority of my commission from the Paranormal Pinkerton Detective Agency, I, uh... I summon the official lawyer of the Paranormal Pinkertons to represent me on trial. I couldn't even remember the guy's name. And really, what if he was working with someone else? Then what would happen? This was ridiculous. For a moment, nothing happened, and I figured it hadn't worked. I mean, of course it hadn't worked. Why would it work? Then the building started shaking again. The ghost started muttering. With a pop, a man 
materialized in front of me. He was dressed in a bathrobe and fuzzy slippers and had a pencil-thin mustache. He was very slightly overweight, and for a reason I couldn't put my finger on, my mind immediately went to a used car salesman when I saw him. His legs were bent in a sitting position. When he first showed up, he tumbled backwards onto his bottom, but quickly scrambled to his feet, looking frightened. What's going on? Where am I? What is this? I figured it was my responsibility to explain things. Uh, hello? The man whirled around. What's going on? I'm a paranormal Pinkerton. A paranormal Pinkerton? I haven't gotten a case from you guys in years. Thought you guys got wiped out for a while there. Well, I wouldn't be able to appear if it weren't serious. Old Mr. Pinkerton saw that. Good times. What's the skinny, kid? Well, I'm kind of on trial, I guess, for being a Pinkerton agent. The ghost cut in. Mr. Lawyer, the name is Kitten Sandevay, if you please. Mr. Sandevay, your client, Detective Sean Russo, stands accused of being a member of the filthy, contemptible, traitorous organization known as the Pinkerton Detectives. Naturally, if he is guilty of this crime, the only reasonable punishment is death. I saw Santave look at the ghost suspiciously, then turn to me. Hey, I recognize your name. The finances are set up again, right? I'll be getting paid for this. Typical shyster. At least he was taking it well. Yeah, I set up. You'll get your pay. He nodded. Good. You seem to be in quite a bind, kid. He looked like he was probably less than ten years older than me. He turned to the judge. Your name, honorable judge? My name is Jack Kehoe. Sandave looked confused for a moment. Kehoe. Then he slapped himself. Black Jack Kehoe, the miner. That's right. Sandave started laughing, and now I was the one confused. He turned to look at me. Don't worry about it, kid. I know these guys. These are the Molly McGuire's. I've dealt with this bunch before. You're gonna be fine. Dealt with this bunch before? Weren't the miners from the 1800s? What did that mean? Sandave did not clarify. So, how will this trial work? We are in what you might call an extra-legal realm. So forgive me for not knowing all your rules. Keo seemed thrown off by Santave's sudden change in demeanor, but he pressed on. Eh, I'll make the case for your client's guilt. Then you make a case for your client's innocence. Then the miners will judge your client's guilt. Oh, you will make the case? That's hardly normal procedure. As you said, Mr. Santave, we are in an extra-legal realm. I am the spokesman for the miners, so I shall be doing the speaking. We are not monsters, despite the slanders spread about us. If you prove your client's innocence, then your client will leave free and clear. I spoke up to object to this. How could I accept terms where the judge was openly on the side of the prosecution? But saint Ave hold up his hand. Those terms are agreeable. Make your case. I was in St. Ave's hands now. 
the only thing giving me hope was that he looked completely relaxed. Like he didn't have a care in the world. He looked like this was fun for him. Bathrobe, tumble, and all. Oh, I hoped I was doing the right thing trusting him. The ghost named Blackjack Kehoe walked into the middle of the room, lit by the light of my small, flickering lantern, and started to speak. You ask me to prove my case, why a member of the vile, pernicious organization known as the Pinkertons deserves to be put to death? Well then, let me tell your story. As he spoke, spectral images appeared in the air above him, in the same transparent mud-brown color as the ghost. A story told by a dead man came alive in front of me, as I learned the tale of the Carbon County Miners. In the year of our Lord, 1849, my family and I came to the United States fleeing the potato blight in Ireland. Above me I saw a scene of vast farmlands of blackened, dead potatoes. I was twelve years old, and I was forced to work in the coal mines in Carbon County, Pennsylvania. The spectral scene above me shifted. Instead, I saw hundreds of workers hammering away at the wall. Like in a movie, the perspective zoomed in to focus on a small boy, the young Jack Kehoe. The mines were cruel. There was no safety. The pay was pitiful. But still I worked day after day, because if I did not, me family would starve. By the grace of our Lord, I managed to escape those mines. I made my way up in the world, opening up a tavern, meeting my darling wife Mary, and being voted constable despite my Irish blood. This is my story, Rousseau, and now you best be paying attention. I never forgot my time in those mines. Never! I started rallying the miners together, forming a union. All we wanted, all we wanted was fair wages. All we wanted was to be able to go to work without risking our lives ending in a crash of smoke and fire. In front of me was a horrible scene of crashing rocks and explosions, the screams and cries of the miners echoing in the courthouse. The ghosts wailed in grief. I didn't turn away in case I missed some important piece of information, but I did catch a glimpse of Santa To my surprise, he was... smiling? In fact, he seemed downright relaxed, even amused. What did he know? Yes, I organized a union with my brother miners here. We were all a part of the ancient order of Hibernians, but the press smeared us as members of the Molly Maguires. The Molly Maguires! It was a lie. A lie, I tell you. Yes, we organized. After the Avondale mine fire in 1869, we'd be fools not to. Men were dying. Dying! And then, a face appeared in the spectral images being projected above me. A somewhat stout, though not obese man, with glasses and a fine handlebar mustache floated above us. James McKenna, or should I say, James McCarland, showed up. Who was McCarland, you ask? A Pinkerton detective! Using the lowest and most despicable means, he went undercover as a miner. Under pay from the owner of the local railroad, he told the most outrageous and sensational lies. The jury was rigged against us, I say. Thanks to his slanderous and contemptible testimony, twenty men were executed for crimes of which they were innocent. A scene of men falling from the gallows played out in the air above me, and the whole court half shook. When I took a look at Saint-Devay, he gave me a wink. <laughs>
In the 1970s, my great-grandson cleared my name, but so many of my brother miners were not so lucky. And now, to hear they are opening up this jailhouse for tourists, as a museum, a scandal, I say, a scandal, and you, Kehoe turned to look at me, you have the gall to come in here, working for the detestable, despicable Pinkerton detectives, you dare to show your face. You Pinkertons are all the same. You are scum. You deserve death. Death, I say. The ropes tightened around me like living snakes, and the ghost started yelling unintelligibly, so loudly it hurt my ears. But Santa Ve stepped forward, clapping slowly. Bravo, Mr. Kehoe. A pretty little performance. Amazing light show. You missed a career in the pictures, I do admit. But, uh, you do seem to be forgetting about a few key details of the events in question. The ghost quieted down, and Keo's eyes narrowed at Santa You may make your case, lawyer. As I said, we are not monsters. Not saints either, though, are you now? St. Devay looked rather silly in his bathrobe, but he also looked practically cocky, standing in front of the ghosts. No images appeared above his head, but he had his own odd power to mesmerize with his words. Not supernatural, or at least I don't think so, but he had charisma. I recognized his techniques, his way of talking. He wasn't treating these guys like schmucks. That doesn't work so well. He was treating them like I treated high-class millionaire clients. I mean, it was the same endpoint. Take their money as much as you can. Pit in Saint Devay was the best I had ever seen. That is a rather truncated version of the story, Mr. Kehoe. Perhaps we should talk about the whole thing? Uh, for example, you claim that there were no Molly Maguires among the ancient order of Hibernians. And yet, everywhere the ancient order of Hibernians were active among the miners, violence followed, despite going against the express wishes of the Workingmen's Benefit Association. How very curious a coincidence. I'll take your own execution, Mr. Kehoe. The room started shaking. I was cleared of all charges. Oh, too true. You certainly were. But somebody murdered Mr. Frank W.S. Langdon, a mine informant. Quite a coincidence, the death of a mine informant in the area of the Molly Maguires were active. Uh, excuse me, supposedly active. The voices of the miners started chattering again, but Sandeve raised his hand. I'm not finished yet. You promised me a proper defense, did you not, Mr. Kehoe? Kehoe raised his own hand and the miner stopped talking, but he had his eyes narrowed at St. Devay. Be careful what you say. Oh, of course, of course. It seems appropriate, though. We have ourselves a little chat about Mr. James McParland, right? You say you were killed for crimes he didn't commit and McParland lied. But the reality is that you actually had much worse plan than McParland ever reported, didn't you, 
Mr. Kehoe. The crimes you were convicted, excuse me, acquitted of, of course had little to do with McParland, taking place years before he ever infiltrated. Instead, he reported a plan to destroy a railroad bridge, a plot to occupy Mahona City by force of arms, and a willingness to kill women and children, yes, women and children, out of revenge for the death of one of their own. Kehoe slammed his fist down. There was no noise but a blast of cold air hit me. A lie! A lie, you say? How strange, that. You call James McCarlin the liar and scoundrel, attributing to him low character and the blackest of motives. But you don't tell the story of the murder of Mrs. McAllister. How curious indeed. Kehoe looked flustered. That's a... well... Oh, perhaps I should tell the story if your memory is lacking. One Mrs. McAllister, the wife of a miner, was murdered by mass thugs who broke into her home. This is after Mr. McCarlin recommended vigilante action against the Mala Maguires. However, when McCarlin heard that a wife was killed and not an actual miner, he objected in the strongest possible terms, denouncing the unnecessary bloodshed of innocence, and would have walked off the case had old Alan Pinkerton himself not personally assured him that they were not responsible. Now I ask all honest men here, does this sound like a man who lacks character to you? Keo had overcome his momentary surprise and was beginning to get angry again. Now, I don't know what you're implying, but... Oh, I'm not done yet, Mr. Kehoe. Perhaps we should talk about the men McCarland helped sentence to death. Innocent men, you might say though McCarlin said otherwise. Yet one of you, a one Mr. Kerrigan, was said to have committed murder by his very own wife, yet walked free for squealing on his brother miners. Oh, yes, brothers indeed. Then you have one Mr. Kelly, who reportedly stated that he would squeal on Jesus Christ himself if it meant getting out of prison. How touching. You may find a sympathetic figure in Judas Iscariot. If you miners are the pictures of innocence you claim, one may ask who killed these men, who all just so happened to work for the mines in some capacity in the first place. They seem to drop dead at curiously fast intervals. Yet James McParland, the one man among you who never took part in any of the violence, is the man you condemn as immoral. At this, the ghosts in the courtroom exploded into a cacophony of noise. The floor shook. Cold air blasted all around me. I twisted my face away to avoid the sting of it in my eyes. Kehoe's voice boomed. Silence! We miners are not on trial, nor is James McParland. We do not need you, lawyer, whispering poisonous lies into our ears to deny us what we know is true. If you have nothing else to say about your client, Sean Russo, then I have no choice but... Oh, but I do, said Santave brightly. You see, you miss the most important part of this whole thing, really. Detective Sean Russo 
is not a Pinkerton detective. Even I turned to look at him at this, and after the brief stoppage of noise when saint Ave started speaking, the ghosts exploded again. Liar! He told us so himself. Did he, though? said saint Ave with a smile. Now think back to what he said. Detective Sean Rousseau is not a Pinkerton detective, but a paranormal Pinkerton. They are very particular on that point. On my suggestion, as it turns out. Perhaps you need a little history lesson. The paranormal Pinkertons were founded by Adam Pinkerton some years after the founding of the Pinkerton Detective Agency, an organization still in existence today. Their records, their history, their structure, their leadership, and even their stated purpose are completely different. The paranormal Pinkertons were founded by Old Allen in 1913, specifically to investigate and, if possible, resolve supernatural threats and report on paranormal phenomena, with the goal of protecting the human race from harm caused by the dark forces of the Outre-Terre, especially in ways and methods the big fish of the world can't touch. It's a noble calling to help the unfortunate tossed about by things they cannot even imagine, much less fight. A member of the Pinkerton Detective Agency is likely to have never heard of the paranormal Pinkertons, and many of the paranormal Pinkertons are not even licensed as, uh, mundane detectives. The only thing the two have in common is a name and a founder, which I hope you will agree is hardly conclusive of anything. Detective Russo was no more connected to the actions of James McParland than the President of the United States is connected to the actions of the Queen of England. You say you are not monsters, Mr. Kehoe. I trust, then, you will do the right thing and let Detective Rousseau and I leave in peace. And just like that, St. Ave sat down, a smug smile on his face. My jaw had dropped. That was your defense, I said incredulously. You're going to get us both killed. But Santa Ve just waved his hand. Just watch, Detective Rousseau. The noise of the ghost grew to a fever pitch, wailing and yelling across the room. Black Jack Kehoe had stood up and was staring at me with some intense emotion that seemed an awful lot like hatred. The room shook harder than it had ever had before, and I felt my chair rattle across the ground beneath me. The wind blew with what felt like the force of a hurricane. The lone lantern casting the room in its small glow fell over and sputtered out, leaving me in pitch blackness. I was utterly helpless, unable to move, and at the mercy of the angry ghosts. Then the ropes fell away. A second later, I felt myself get lifted into the air. With a jolt, I flew across the room in seconds and felt myself fly out the door. I landed on my face, bloodying my nose. Next to me, I saw Santa Ve fly out, but unlike me, he did a neat tumble, then came to his feet like an acrobat. Apparently, he was used to this. He stood up and smiled broadly. See? I told you I knew how to handle these guys. Nothing to worry about. I scrambled to my feet. What just... How did... Oh, those were the Mala Maguires. Tragic story. The original trial was a total hatchet job. No surprise they're haunting this place, really. I blinked. A total hatchet job? What are you even talking about? You just said McParlin's testimony was reliable. 
Santa Vey waved aside my comment like an irksome fly. I say lots of things, kid. Take my advice and don't believe everything you hear. Ghosts don't have lie detectors. Just make sure I get my pay within a week or I'm going to have to pay you a visit. Anyway, long as you're right and the Pinkerton payroll is working correctly again, my work here is done. Sayonara. He walked down the street in his ridiculous fluffy bathrobe, whistling. Wait, I yelled. That stuff about the paranormal Pinkertons and the regular Pinkertons, was that true? Santa Fe was some distance down the road now, but he yelled back to me. Of course it's true, kid. Didn't old Tom teach you anything? I was going to object, but Santa Fe disappeared into the mountain fog. I have no idea where he went. Control, my recommendation is that you send in a priest with experience dealing with ghosts and knowledge of the local history. An exorcism of this group seems like it might be tricky, but perhaps if the conversion of the courthouse to a museum is done with the right attitude and proper communication, you can make something work out of it. As for me, while well, I'm still trying to get over that splitting headache, concussions can be nasty things. I might need to rest up for a week or two before I take any other assignments. <sighs> At least there's paperwork. Sean Russo, signing... Oh, wait. I paid Incentive his fee. We pay him in gold, apparently. I had to scrounge for it and wipe out the spruce run deposit. Let him know the gold is available for pickup at his convenience. Sean Russo, signing off. For now. Pinkerton's Ghosts is a podcast distributed by Superversive Radio. Licensed under an attribution non-commercial, share-alike international license. This episode was written by Anthony Marchetta and is performed by the same. Ben Wheeler edits, directs, produces, and herds cats. Ken Dickerson performs our audio editing. Visit us on Facebook, read articles on SuperversiveSF.com, or listen to us on unauthorized Acast iTunes, or Spotify. Contact us through Twitter at at Pinkerton's Ghosts, email us at pinkertonsghosts at gmail.com, or send us noble messenger possums with messages strapped to their backs. Don't worry, they know how to find us. Thank you for listening, and good luck.